You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. Well, today I want to talk to you about that challenge, and I want to talk to you about how someone was chosen to lead a crowd much larger than five, much larger than nine. And so you heard a little bit about them today. We, uh, it's the story of Moses, a portion of the story of Moses, the real Moses, the Christian Moses, not the one you see in front of you today. And, um, and so God asked him, God asked him to move a very large crowd, and to be more specific, right around two million people. And, and Moses wasn't dying to do this. He wasn't, ex- he wasn't asking, like, hey, God, like, you know, my life is kind of boring. I get up and I go to work every day and I, you know, hang out with my family, hang out with my kids. And, you know, I really just need to spice up my life a little bit. I need, I need some challenges and some obstacles. Can you give me something to do? Like, it wasn't like that God was asking for this. I mean, Moses was asking for this. But God did ask Moses to do this. And when Moses was asked by God to go to this land of Egypt and and move two million people over to a town where he's never been to, a land that he's never seen, on a journey he's never been on, and ultimately not having a lot of direction and guidance, but asking him to do this step one, he was really resistant. He was like, you know, I really don't want to. Like, I have a lot of good things going on right now. Like, my wife and I are doing great. Like, I actually love her. She loves me. We, we like spending time with each other. My kids are listening most of the time, and so we're, things are going really well. I have this really good job, and I have this really good career going for myself, so I really, I'm good. Like, can you just ask someone else? And so God's like, you know, I really want you to do it. He's like, you, 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 you're the one that came from that area. You know those people. You know the, 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 this person called Pharaoh who's, who's mistreating them, who's, who's, not being, who, who's putting a lot of pressure and, and strain on them. And, and I want you to be the one to go down there. And Moses is like, I don't want to. And I'll give you some really good reasons on why I'm not the right person for the job. Like, I'm, I'm a nobody. Like, I really don't have a title or a position. So they're not going to listen to me. Um, not only that, like, you're asking me to talk to Pharaoh. I'm not even a good talker. Like, I stutter and I stumble across words, and sometimes I use words that shouldn't be in that spot. In my head, they sounded much different than when they came out. And so he's giving God a lot of good reasons. And God's being patient with him, you know, because, you know, that's who God is. He's a patient God, and, and he ultimately works with us when, thing, when we're being really resistant in whatever our situation is. And then ultimately, God says, hey, no, you're still going to go. And then Moses has this aha moment now where it's like, okay, all these other reasons have not worked. I have a really good idea. Like, this is now where I'm going to outsmart God. And this is now where I have outgrown God. And I'm just going to give God a better idea. Like, hey, I see that you want me to go. I see that. And I can see why you want me to go. But I have a better idea. Ask Aaron, my brother. He's a much better leader. People listen to him more than they listen to me. He's a much better communicator. Ask him. He can do it. I can't. Send him. And God, at this point, he's just like, all right, listen, you're going to go. And you're going you're gonna to do this for me. 
and you're the one that I want to see this happen. So finally, in, in Moses' wrestling and his conversation with God and his struggle and all of his excuses and all of his reasons, he just comes to the realization, like, okay, look, looks like I'm going to go and do this for God. And so he does. He goes, and he, and he goes through this series of conversations with Pharaoh, and God, you know, creates a certain amount of miracles through this process to get Pharaoh to free two million slaves to let them go out into this journey, this wilderness, for who knows how long and where and when. And all of a sudden, um, you know, Moses is experiencing this miraculous moment that has never, ever happened before in his life and has never, ever happened to the two million people that have been hurting and have been crying out to God, they have been asking, for, uh, to, uh, asking God to help them. And so now there's this, like, miracle happening, this, this new journey, this unknown reality that's happening for all their lives. And now they're about, you know, a little, a little less than halfway into this journey, about 100 miles into their journey, there, there's a stopping point, and, you know, and, and they come to this place uh, of, that's close to a mountain, and, and Moses tells them to set up camp here, and he says, hey guys, I want you to set up camp here, I'm going to go up this mountain, I'm going to have a conversation with God, and I'm going to get the next guidelines, directions, I'm going to get the next uh, set of instructions of where to go, what to do, and how to do it, um, and so you guys stay here at the camp, I'm going to go up the mountain, have a conversation with God, hear what he has to say, then I'll come back down, and then we'll continue moving up forward. And so really what God had asked Moses to do is move 2 million people about 250, 250, I'm sorry, 250 miles by foot. Now, can you imagine how difficult that would be? Like, hey, Dave, take all of L.A., L.A. County, take all the people in L.A. County and walk them over to about San Luis Obispo. It's going to take you 40, 50, 60 days probably, and you're going to come across a lot of obstacles, and it's going to be really difficult, um, but this is what I need you to do, because over there, there's going to be this, this land where everybody's really going to be happy, and they're going to be grateful, and they're going to be excited, but the journey is going to be terrible, um, and the journey is going to be really hard, and, the, and it's going to be a long process, and there's going to be a lot of obstacles and challenges and doubts and fears, but here's, wh- here's what you need to do in order to get there. That's ultimately what he was asking Moses to do. So he gets about 100 miles into this journey, and he asked him to set up camp. Stay here while I go. And then during this process of waiting for Moses is what I call the gap, the timeline that didn't match their heads and their hearts, the timeline that in their heads thought it should have happened sooner. And with this time gap, doubt starts entering in their hearts, and doubt starts entering in their minds. And then what they do is now they just start to share that doubt with another, with the person's neck to them. And then this doubt starts to obviously start to become a popular uh, conversation amongst this group of two million people. And then something happens that I would have never expected to happen. You know, obviously, if I'm reading the story, I would have thought like, oh my gosh, how in the heck did you do that? But in reality, if I put it into human terms today in my life today, there's a lot of times where I do that. And so I want to show you what it is that they did. I want to show you what it is that happened in this gap, in this distance between waiting on God and where they were at. Because in reality, if you really dig into your heart, you've made some choices. I've made some choices in that gap. And the heart of God is always to close the gap. The heart of God is always to not have space between us and him. That's always God's heart, to close that distance in our relationship. But somehow, some way, whenever we're in a moment of waiting, 
we distant and we and we and we and we we spread that gap out. And so I want to show you what they did, what they did during this gap, what they did during this waiting time, what they did in this distance. Um, Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 4, you can follow along with me on the screen. It'll be up here, or you can read it on your Bibles or um, notepads or smartphones. Um, And it says this, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, which is always the part that just like, like, oh, this, this guy that used to be a part of us, this fellow Moses who was a, you know, used to speak into us but no longer speaks into us, and I don't even really even know if he exists anymore. This fellow Moses who brought us out of, up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And so here's where Aaron speaks up now. And Aaron answered them, take off, gold earring, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all of the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And this is the part where I just sit here and I'm like, during the time that they were waiting on God, during the time that they were waiting for more instructions and more guidance and more direction, during the time that they were waiting for Moses to come down, what they managed to do was to come up with a conclusion and a, and a, and a belief that Moses probably no longer existed. And that the reality is that the God that had led them out of Egypt through dry land in between an ocean and into a desert who fed them with food fallen from the sky and gave them water with uh, gave them water out of a rock that didn't produce water. No rocks do ever rocks ever produce water, but God made water uh, be uh, produced through a rock. Although they've gone through all this series of miracles, they arrived at a place in their heart and their lives that God no longer existed. That God was no longer real. That God had forgotten about them that God was no longer operating in the way that they believed he should operate. So in today's term, we basically call it outgrowing God. And so they came up with now their own idea. Let's make our own God, our own God that fits in our timeline, that fits in our mindset, that we can control and we can tell what to do and that God can do it for us at that very moment. And so... During this time is when they came up with this conclusion. Now, I know that sounds like so far, you know, stretched, like that's a really, really crazy thought to go from like believing in God and following God to all of a sudden not believing God and not following God. I know that sounds really, really like a a huge gap, but in reality, if we can be honest with ourselves, many of us do that. Many of us, some way, shape, or form, replace God in our lives with a different belief with a different priority or with ourselves because of what we know how to do and, we, and how we know how to do it. And so today what I want to help you understand is God's desire was to close that gap. And God's desire is always to close that gap. And God gives us guidelines and directions to help us to close that gap. But in our hearts, we often struggle with that gap. And so when Moses came down, he came down with what we uh, call commandments, 
He came down the mountain with 10 guidelines, 10 commandments to give to the people to say, hey, guys, this is how God wants to deepen our relationship. This is how God wants to stay close to us. This is how God wants to speak into our lives and how he wants to hear from you. This is the the guidelines and directions to keep this relationship strong between you and God. So he's coming down with these commandments, and the people have already come up with different conclusions, thoughts, beliefs, and moved on to a different uh, different, uh, system, a different different God. And so so there's a a big gap here. There's a big gap between the heart of the people and the heart of God. And really, as Moses was coming down with these commandments, what these commandments really are, once again, is guidelines to help to deepen that relationship. Every relationship that wants to grow and thrive and deepen and draw closer has guidelines. My wife and I were in a relationship. We call it a marriage. And in our relationship, we want to be in this relationship forever. We want to take our relationship and we want to have it grow and develop and thrive. We don't want to just be stuck in a commitment. We want to be in a relationship that, that, that's continually um, desiring each other and wanting each other and wanting to be around each other and to talk into each other's lives and hearts and vacation together and spend time together with our family. We want to be in this relationship. So in order for us to have a thriving relationship, we have guidelines. I'll share some of those with you. I'll share some of those guidelines with you. Guideline number one, in our relationship, we've come to this agreement. I am her human relational priority, and she is my human relational priority, which means this. No one else takes priority in our lives. No other human relationship will take priority over her. I have kids, and I love them with all of my heart, but they're not going to take priority over my wife because at some point, my kids are going to grow up and move out, and guess who I'm left with? My wife, all right? Right? And so, and I have a mom and a dad who I love very much, and I'm super grateful for them. But at the end of the day, they're my mom and my dad, and they live like 30 miles away from me. All right? They, I have in-laws. We have friends. We have coworkers. All great people. But they don't take priority in, 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 in our relationship be, uh, be, between my wife and I. Okay? So that's priority. That's, that's commandment number one in our relationship. Now, number two, although other people careers, and hobbies will get more of our time at certain seasons of our life, they will never get more of our heart. There's going to be times where my kids get a lot of my time. There's going to be times where my kids get more of my time than my wife does. But I need to be careful to make sure that they don't get more of my heart than my wife. There's going to be times where my career and my calling um, it gets more of my time than my, wi- than my kids, than my wife. But I need to be careful that they don't get more of my heart. There's going to be times where my friends, where we hang out and we do good things like fishing and riding motorcycles, which I don't even have a motorcycle, but that's the picture that was up there. We, and we, we do things together. We have hobbies together. Um, there's going to be times where we spend a lot of time together, but they don't get more of my heart. And so my wife and I are very intentional that no one gets more of our heart. Okay, they may get more of our time, but not more of our heart. The third guideline or commandment that we have is that all of our sexual fulfillment comes from each other. I will be all of her sexual needs. She will meet all of my sexual needs. No other person, no other video, no other picture, no other, no other uh, whatever is going to fulfill that position in our lives with sexual fulfillment. Okay? Uh, number four. We, and some of these are biblical. Some of these have nothing to do with the Bible. Some of these have to do with past relationships. Some of these have to, have to do with things that we've stumbled across in our 15 years of being married. And so this next one, this next one we talked about before we were married. And we said, hey, we're, we both are going to have careers. We're both going to have, you know, have income. But when we have kids, 
you're, you're going to be home, and I'll be focusing on bringing home enough money to, pro- to provide for our family. And she loved that idea, and she wanted to have that happen. So when we got married, you know, we both had careers, and then we had kids, and she stopped working, and, she was, and then she was at home. So the agreement was I would bring home all the money, and she would spend it all. That was the agreement. And she was like, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm okay with that agreement, all right? I'm going to do this for you, she said. I'm only going to do this for you, Okay. So it was, you know, I had to talk her into this. I had this huge PowerPoint and all these great quotes and scriptures and all these great ideas. But, you know, it took a little while, but she's like, okay, I'm into it. I'm into this idea. And so, um, and so the other one is this. This is, a, this is another one. Another one is we have the power of veto in our lives. And here's, and here's what I mean by that. There's times in our life when certain people come into our life and in the heart of a spouse there's this innate feeling that they don't feel good about this other person that's in the circle. But they don't have enough evidence to come up with this conclusion that this is why this person is not a good person to be around, or this is why I don't feel safe around this person. So we came up with this thing called the power of veto, which means this. She'll come up to me and say, hey, I don't know what it is about Joe, but for some reason I just don't feel good about him being around all the time, or, being, or you being alone with him. I don't have enough reasons or evidence on why I feel this way. I just don't want you to be alone with Joe. And then me as the husband have to respect that veto power and say, you know what? Okay. I'm going to trust your instinct, right or wrong. I'm going to respect your wishes because your, my relationship with you is priority. And sometimes it's about Joe, sometimes it's about uh, Joanne, sometimes it's a guy, sometimes it's a girl, but at the end of the day, she has that power of veto, and I have that power of veto in her life, where we respect each other's innate emotion, feeling of how how they feel about another person. That has been a life-changing, life-saving, relationship-saving experience for us. Somehow, some way, there's this innate feeling It says, hey, can you protect yourself around this certain person? All right, so that's another one. Um, Another one is starting off our day. We have this commandment in our relationship, this guideline in our relationship, that we start off our day. The first 15 minutes of our day, we start off with coffee. Before the kids wake up, before we get going, before before we start running wild with all the things that there is to do, get them out the door, get them to school, homework, sports, practices, you know, uh, dinner, da-da-da, bathing, you know, nighttime routine. Before you do any of that other crazy stuff, the first 15 minutes of our day, we start off with coffee. And we just sit. Sometimes we just sit and drink coffee. Sometimes we sit and we talk. Sometimes we sit and I talk and she listens. Sometimes we sit and she talks and I listen. It's different every day, but the first 15 minutes is her and I and coffee. Those 15 minutes, somehow, some way, start off our day with some emotional connection between her and I that keeps this as a priority. All right? And then the next one we have here, I'm coming down to my um, eighth commandment. Um, we, we end our day with debriefing, debriefing about our day and prepping for the next day. Um, the ninth commandment in our relationship is we commit to awkward conversations. This one's huge. If you're, if you're writing things down and you have a relationship that you really care about and you want to keep long term, this is a big one. We commit to awkward conversations. And here's what I mean by this. There's some times where I have certain feelings about certain things that she's doing or not doing. And whether it's right or wrong, whether my feelings are right, whether my feelings are wrong, we commit to sharing those things. We don't hide them in our heart. 
Because we've come to understand, we've come to learn that the things we hide in our heart ultimately create space between you and the person that you're trying to build a relationship with. And so we eliminate the power of what secrets do in our heart by verbalizing those feelings. And I normally start off by saying this, hey, I don't like that I feel this way, and I don't even, I wish I didn't feel this way. I don't even think it's right that I feel this way, but I feel like you need to wake up and clean the house. You know, it's like, it's, it's a feeling that I have. It might be wrong, but I just, I, I feel like you should do that. I don't, am I wrong in this? Am I right in this? And no, no, I'm not asking you. I'm asking her. <laughs> And so, and, and you know, that's just a silly example, but there's a lot of examples. Like, hey, I feel that, you know, maybe you should come to work with me today. Hey, I feel that maybe that um, you shouldn't spend so much time at your mom's house. Or, hey, I feel like maybe you shouldn't spend so much money so that we can actually do something at the end of the month and not have to eat Top, top Ramen. And, you know, and so I, I, I share certain feelings, and she shares a lot of feelings. I and mean, plus me, for a person who's an introvert and doesn't like to share feelings, she's got a lot of feelings. And so, um, and so we commit to awkward conversations. Right or wrong, this is what's in my heart. Speak into it. Tell me if it's right. Tell me if it's wrong. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to let that sit in my heart because what it does is secrets, they create distance in your relationships. And that wasn't your idea. That was the enemy's idea. And that's his strategy to distance a relationship. All right? And so the last one, my ten, our tenth one is our arguments. When we have arguments, they're never about being right or wrong. Our arguments are never about who's right, who's wrong. They're never about who's to blame. You can spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out who's to blame. And let's just say you win. And you figure it out, enough evidence to say you're to blame. Guess what happens then? Now what? The problem is still there. So we just, from the very beginning, have just said, hey, we're not going to spend any time on the blame factor. Oh, you know what? I'm the guy of the house. I'll just take the blame. No matter what happens in the house, the blame is always my fault. All right? And somehow, some way, I can figure out a way how this is my fault. Okay, now that we've figured out I'm the one to blame, here's the problem. Can we talk about it now? And we talk about, to, we talk for this specific reason, to try to be understood, not to be right or wrong. When you can have a conversation and the goal to be understood, no one feels defensive. No one feels like you're trying to blame them. No one feels like, like they're, they're at fault. All you're doing is saying, here's, here's, how, here's how I feel. This is, this, I want you to understand where, where I'm looking at this. And we sit side by side, never face to face in an argument. If you ever do face to face, it's immediate like, Who's right, who's wrong, right, left, dodge, 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 hut, hut, hut. It's like it, anytime you go face-to-face, -face, it's immediate going to go into right or wrong. So it's always side by side. We put the problem out here. There's a problem. You and I are partners. Let's stay focused on this that's trying to separate us. All right? And those are our commandments for our relationship. We have 10 guidelines, commandments, principles that we use because we, we value our relationship. I have them for my kids, too. My kids, it's, they're a lot less. I don't need 10. It's like, hey, do what I say or else feed yourself. It's a very simple, it's a very simple process. And so, but God, God, God really valued the relationship with us, really values his relationship with you, and that's exactly what he was doing with Moses, saying, hey, I really want a relationship with the 2 million-plus people that are down there, and I don't like the gap. 
I don't like the distance. I, I didn't create them to be distant. I didn't bring them into this world to have a gap. My relationship matters so much with them that I want to have healthy relationships, so I'm going to give you some guidelines. And so I have that slide up there that you want to write down. It says, healthy, thriving relationships always have guidelines. Healthy, thriving relationships always have guidelines. And the very first guideline that God had for Moses really set the pace for the other nine. The guideline number one was, do not have any other gods before me. That very, very first commandment, guideline principle, really set the pace for number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I would say this. In order for you to keep guideline principle commandment number two through ten, you would first have to keep number one. And vice versa. In order for you to not keep two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you would have to not keep number one. And so in God's heart and mind, he understood that he created your heart, he created my heart, and inside of every human heart, there's a spot that could only be filled by God. And the reason why he knows that is because he created it. And so when you're the creator, you get to, you get to tell people how the creation works. Like, you know, I have an iPhone in my pocket, and I know how it works at a certain extent. But do you know who knows more about that iPhone besides my 8-year-old? Is the creator. The creator of the phone knows more about it than I do. And so God was saying, hey, listen, in your heart, there's a spot that you're going to try to fill with all kinds of other things. And you're going to try to, uh, you're gonna try to make sure that others, you know, uh, other things take, spot, uh, take a place in that. But at the end of the day, there's only one thing that will ever, ever fill it. And that's me. And C.S. Lewis knew this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I, made, I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Now, today, I just want to help you understand. Regardless of who you are and where you are, you're one of three people. Every crowd has three different people in it. I'm just going to share this real quick with you so that you know when you leave today. This is not the person right here. This guy right here, I totally made him up. He doesn't exist. He's, he's, a, he's a fictional person. But this person, number one, all right, if you're in a crowd... Just like the, the people of, of Israel, if you're in a crowd, and there's person number one who this person ideally, um, you know, believed in God at some point and heard the word God and, and it was kind of like, you know, God was a real, real thing for a while, but at some point they outgrew God and they kind of, you know, God didn't quite fit in their head and their heart anymore. And so they put God on the shelf with Santa Claus, with the Easter bunny, with the tooth fairy, and they just come to learn how to operate without God. And they come to learn how to live without God. And so God is now just a more of a, of a fictional character. And so, um, and so they get to this place of like, you know what? I, I figured out how to live life without God. Now, if you're in the room today, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation and the bribery of whoever invited you to lunch and to pay for your lunch to be here. We're grateful that you're here. But there, this might be you today, okay? This might be you. Like, hey, God was at one point real in my life, but not real anymore, all right? And so now there's person number two, once again, fictional person. This person really doesn't exist. It's just a made-believe story. And this person, you know, at some point was at, at a place where they needed God, 
And they had a, a place in their heart where they had stress and tension, and they had, you know, uh, they had pain, and they were crying out for help, and someone cared about them enough to invite them to this place called South Hills Burbank. And they came, and they walked in the door, and they felt loved by the, the people, and they, they just were in awe that the music and the worship, and this guy named Steve would speak into their hearts and, you know, pour into their life. And then this little bald guy got up and sp- spoke encouraging words and, and love and grace and encouragement, and it just filled such a huge void in their life that they just said, man, I'm in. I definitely have been hungering and searching for this. I love how this feels. This is exactly what I needed. And then all of a sudden, they get out of Egypt and things are good. And all of a sudden, things are moving. And now I really, I don't know if I need it that much. Maybe I'll come once a month, twice a month, if that, kind of check in every now and then. But there's now other priorities in my life. God did a great thing when I was in Egypt now that I'm out of Egypt, I kind of, you know, I have things going on that I really, I still believe in God, I still love God, but other things have taken priority. And then there's this fictional person, once again, that doesn't exist, that is person number three. And this person ideally believes in God and loves God and, and follows God and has probably been doing it their entire life and, and ideally understands that, that there's nothing greater than God. But then there's times in our life, if we're this person, where God is, is taking too long, and we know where we want to go, we know what we need to do, we know what needs to happen, but ideally God's timeline is not on our timeline. And so if you're this person and you come to a place where you outgrow God, what you do is you say, okay, God, I gave you my specific prayer with directions and instructions and I told you who to contact and how to contact them and what to say to them because I know what they, need to say, what they need to hear in order for them to listen. But you didn't do it. So um, because you didn't do it within the time frame that I gave you and that I wanted you to, to accomplish this, I'm just going to go ahead and take care of it. Here you go, God. You have a seat right here. I will step in and handle this situation. So you outgrow God's time. Now, whether you're one, two, or three, if you can just for a moment be honest with yourself and identify yourself and say, where was it? Where was it that I replaced God with a story, a fictional character? Where was it that I replaced God with another priority? Or where was it that I replaced God with myself? What was it that I originally had reached out to God for this, but now I've replaced him with my career, my finances, my wife, my kids, my friends, my community, my hobbies, my self, my education, my where? Where did you replace God? And as I close today, I just want you to ask yourself this question. That God, as we dig into this series of outgrowing you, help me to identify that place in my life where you need to be. I don't want to be the one that I rely on myself and my power and my wisdom and my education and my abilities. I don't want to have other things as priority. I don't want to create my own timeline for everything. That's a lot of stress for myself. You're God. I'm not. How do I put you in first place in my life? And if you're wondering... Like, how do I know if God's priority in my life? Well, you'll know when God's priority in your life when God's priority is your priority. That's how you'll know. 
when God's priority in your life. So if I can have every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to just give me a moment to have a conversation with you. Bow your heads, close your eyes, because I want you to have privacy in this moment. And as you dig into your heart, and as you dig into your life, and as you ask God to search your heart and figure out where are you today, which one are you, one, two, or three? What did you replace him with? Whether you know it or not, what was it where you felt like, man, I stepped in and took the role of God here because I, I outgrew him in that way? You probably wouldn't say those words, but that's just the reality. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you have identified that place where you would like for God to take priority, say, God, I want you to take priority in that place. I want your priorities to be my priority. If you've identified that place, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. I'm just going to ask you to make eye contact with me and raise your hand so I can pray for you right now so God can speak into your heart and your life as you move forward today. So I'm just going to make my way through this room. I'm just going to look for you to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. I'll just say, God bless you. You can put your hand back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you back there. God bless you. I see you right here. Thank you so much for raising your hand. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. I see you right here. I see you right here. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you right here. I see you guys right here. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, you saw the hands in the air go up. God, you know the struggles in our hearts. You know whether I put you on a shelf with Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny years ago. You know whether I put other things in priority in front of you or you know whether I step in in your place and fulfill the timing that needs to happen. God, I ask for forgiveness for one. I ask for you to help me. Help me to keep your priorities my priority. Help me to accept you into my heart to fulfill that void that only you can fill so I don't go in circles every single day, every single month, every single year trying to fill that void with something or someone else. I ask for the strength, for the courage. I ask for the wisdom to trust you and to wait on you even when you feel silent, even when your timeline is not my timeline. I say these things in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.